0: And the third day there was a marriage in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. And and both Jesus was called and his disciples to the marriage. And when they wanted wine, the mother of Jesus said unto him, They have no wine. Jesus said unto her, Woman, what have I to do with thee? Mine hour has not yet come. His mother said unto the servants, Whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. And there were set there six water pots of stone. After the manner of the purifying of the Jews containing two or three firkins apiece. Apparently this is 49 gallons in total, if you want to know. Jesus said unto them, fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said unto them, draw out now and bear unto the governor of the feast. And they bore it. And when the ruler of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine. And knew not where it was or whence it was. But the servants which drew the water knew the governor of the feast, called the bridegroom and said unto him, every man at the beginning doth set forth good wine. And when men have well drunk, then that which is uh, worse, but thou hast kept the good wine until now. And obviously we want to take for our text this morning. Okay, it's not working, folks. Could you help me there? Go to the next one. Our text this morning his mother saith unto the servants, whatsoever he saith unto you, do it. You know, if you're going to do something in life, it's always helpful to talk to someone who's done it before, or to talk to someone who set it up, someone who knows the rules. Uh, when I left school, I served my apprenticeship as a plant engineer, and I worked for Caterpillar. as the big earth moving machinery, and there's a, a particular job that you did and it was called uh, it affected the steering of these large machines and they were called slewing clutches. And there was an awkward way to do it, but it would have saved you hours. And in fact, you had to get a, 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 just a normal 5-8 spanner and you had to heat it and bend it into two different uh, bends so that you could actually get the spanner in. And although this way was awkward to do it, It saved you about eight or nine hours because normally you'd have had to take the cab off, the driver's seat, the diesel tank, all out so that you could get at this thing. So I had an apprentice with me, and I said to him, right, I have it prepped. I want you to just loosen the bolts. And I said, whatever you do, tie a string to my spanner, and then if it falls, we can pull it back out without having to strip the whole machine again. Well, he didn't, and he dropped it. And it took me about nine hours to finish that job, all because he didn't do what someone who had done it many times knew, had dropped the spanner many times because it was a real awkward job, but always knew with a bit of string on it, you could pull it back out. And you know, it's the same and more important with the Word of God. There's many people and many things that, are uh, any books that you can read and, uh, and many men and women you can listen to but for me the word of god is final because we looked and we seen that it's inspired and therefore mary's uh, comment to the servants it's a comment to us today it's a comment to us today why listen to it what was it about mary was she something special Or did did she have special insights or special abilities? Or was she just another human being that the Lord blessed by using her to bring forth his plan for the purpose of the salvation of mankind? You see, Mary was special. But she was special in the sense that her simple faith taught us all a lesson. And you know, her faith wasn't just Uh, in this instance. We'll see it in other places. But the main thing about Mary is there was nothing wonderfully special about her except that she was willing for the Lord to use her. But nowhere in the Bible does it say she is to be worshipped. And nowhere in the Bible does it say that she's to be prayed to or that she's sitting at the feet of a judgmental Jesus pleading for her people. She's in her grave resting until the Lord comes back. So what do we got to note about her? We've got to note her faith, and we've got to note her obedience. Faith means nothing if there's no obedience following it. And we see in our reading there the first testament that was, or the first miracle story that was recorded in the New Testament. And the first word she uses, whatsoever, and that means that if Jesus asks us to do something, we are to do it, no matter what the cost. No matter how strange it may even seem at the time, no matter what it is, we have to obey the Lord Jesus Christ. She didn't say to the servants, look, have a we think about it here. I want you to reason this out because if they'd have reasoned it out, they'd have told her, Mrs., you're a few sandwiches short of a picnic here. What she said was, whatsoever he saith, do it. It's quite simple, but quite meaningful. And again, I said her faith wasn't just displayed at this instance. Her faith was greatly displayed when she was told about how the Holy Spirit was going to come upon her and how that she would bear Jesus. And you know, we need to understand the predicament that this would have put her in because she had the potential to bring herself into danger and into great rejection. There was a potential of even being sold into slavery or being stoned to death. This was uh, not a thing which was acceptable in society back then. And there were young girls sold by their fathers into slavery because they got pregnant out of wedlock. Some of them would have even been stoned to death. Some women who became pregnant out of wedlock uh, were banished from their village and the only way they could survive was they moved to another village and turned to prostitution. And that was the only way they could live. She would have been rejected by the man that she was uh, promised to. And this would have brought great shame on her family, especially her father. But the Lord told her. And such was her faith. She was willing to do it. And think about it, folks. You know, even now there's people don't believe that Mary uh, conceived Jesus uh, as a virgin. But she was willing to, to risk this as it were. I mean, she had faith that the Lord told her this. She had faith that this would come about. But she also knew the consequences it could bring for her. And for me, that's why God chose Mary. And you know, if you want to be chosen by the Lord, then I think you should take Mary's example and be obedient unto Jesus and do what he says. Because Mary teaches us that blessings come from obedience. You see, in in this wedding, there was a problem for the host uh, of this wedding feast. And we're told that the host actually would have been the groom's father. Uh, The chief guest would have been a local dignitary. uh, And he would have been the honored guest at the meal. Jesus was not the honored guest at the meal. He was just called along we're told it was the third day of this celebration and they had run out of wine. Their own plans, their own preparations for this feast did not meet the needs of the feast. And Mary knew that Jesus had the solution to all of our problems. And we do know that Jesus turned the water into wine. And so the turning of the water into wine reveals that there are better things to come. the world gives us or the world gives its best but you know something the blessings of the lord get sweeter and sweeter with each passing day with jesus you know something the last is better than the first and you can talk to any christian and they will tell you things they have came through and they've been hard they've been difficult but the blessings have came when they've had to stand, when it's been really difficult to stand, when their heart is breaking when they stand, they have stood and the blessings have came and they have seen God's hand. As I've said, with Jesus, the last is better than the first. And you know, when God returns in glory, words will not be able to describe what lies ahead in eternity for the children of the Lord. Think about that. Try and even picture in your mind what it's going to be like when we spend eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. No pain, no suffering, no death. Wouldn't it be wonderful? Can you contemplate that this morning? Just think for a moment of how glorious it will be. And think of what the Bible says about it, not what certain Talibans say about it. It's going to be a wonderful time and the blessings at the end will be greater. You know, I spoke to many people at funerals and, and bereavement. And you know, we've discussed, when God comes back in glory, do you know what, we're going to look back and say, what on earth were we worried about when we have eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ? For those who have done what Jesus asked them to do when he returns in glory, I think truly we will say, thou hast kept the best wine Until the last. You see, he is a miracle worker. He can turn water into wine, and he can work a miracle in your life if you obey him. This was an impossibility. This was just normal water, there was no substance added to it, there wasn't no grapes slipped into it, it wasn't given time to ferment. It was instant when Jesus gave the word. He is the worker of miracles. And blessings come from doing what Jesus said we should do. You see, they did what Jesus told them to do here, what Murray instructed them to do. And they went and they filled the, 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 the water pots with water. And, you know, we can be obedient in small things in life. We can be obedient to the important things like trying our best to keep the Ten Commandments, But there are things in our personal lives that Jesus has commanded us to do and hence comes the difficulties because it challenges our nature. You know, we're selfish by nature and let's be honest with each other. We think of ourselves more than we think of others at times. But there are things which Christ tells us to do in our personal lives and we can't bargain with him. We can't negotiate with the Lord Jesus Christ. There's plenty of people Want to negotiate with God about their salvation and things. We'll look at that in a moment. We have to take responsibility to carry out His instructions to the full. For me, that's what's wrong with society today. No one is taking on board personal responsibility. If somebody does something wrong, we're looking for an excuse as to why they did it. Wrong is wrong, sin is sin. And you know something, you'd be a lot happier in your life if you take responsibility for your actions and hold your hands up. And if you're wrong, you were wrong. If you're right, hallelujah. But at least take responsibility. We have to take responsibility to carry out his instructions to the full. We can't just take the ones that we like or fit in with our lifestyle, with our likes and our dislikes. His word is truth, and it's not given to spoil our lives, it's given to us to have life and to have life more abundant. You know, many people have spoke to, and even I would remember myself sometimes, before I became a Christian, I was reluctant to become a Christian because you had to give up things. You know, we were told you had to give up this and you had to give up that. And I was, at that time, I was too content where I was. But you know something? When God asked us to do something, the blessings come, as I've said we begin to realize that those things that were were temporal, were, were only temporal. We're only bringing a, a kind of joy, but the peace and the joy that God brings in your heart is well worth doing what Jesus asks you to do. What does Jesus ask us to do? He asks us to obey Him. He asks us to obey Him in everything. And One thing we need to obey him with, and it's most important of all, is salvation. You see, there are those that tell us that Jesus does not expect us to totally obey him. And in a sense, yes, because he knows we're weak. He knows we'll make mistakes. But he also knows that we should repent. But there are those that claim that we are saved by grace. And therefore, when we sin, the Lord looks at us and seize the blood, and sees the covering. And this basically states that we can do what we want because of his grace, we will not be judged. Brothers and sisters, and my friend this morning, that is a lie straight from the father of lies. It is a lie straight from the father of lies. You cannot willingly sin and think, I'm okay because I'm covered by the blood. Because I would question your salvation in the first place if that's your attitude. When we are saved, we are to live as sinless as we can. Yes, we're going to make mistakes. But to deliberately think that you can commit adultery, it's okay, I'm a Christian, it's all right, I'm covered by grace. To steal from someone, it's okay, I'm covered by grace. It wasn't that much a stole anyway. I want to warn you this morning, with sincerity, you need to get right with Jesus if that's your attitude. Yes, we're saved by grace. Certainly, but it doesn't give us a license to sin. It gives us a license to live for the Lord Jesus Christ. Another thing is people today are told that they're good people and don't need to be saved. Sadly, even from some pulpits, people have been told that God loves them and it doesn't matter what they're doing. His grace will be your entrance into heaven. I told you before about a gentleman I met one night. We were way back in Strandtown days. We were on the door-to-door team and I was out with one of the, the brothers in the church, and we met this guy. I'll not say what church he's from because this was his personal opinion. I don't know if it was a doctrine of his church. But when we met him at his door, we were talking to him. We asked him, you know, do you, well, we didn't blatantly come out and say, Are you saved, Are you a Christian, or what church do you go to? He told us. He said, have you ever committed your life to the Lord? And he says, yes. And then he said, do you know, Becoming a Christian is a process. Becoming a Christian is a process. And according to what he was taught, what he said he was taught in his church, was God is over there. And whenever you become a Christian, you begin to learn and begin to be a better person. And then you begin to read the Word of God and you become a better person. You begin to volunteer, charitable work. You become a, And eventually, and eventually, and eventually, you'll get to God. Brothers and sisters, that's not what the Word of God said. Salvation, our works do not produce salvation. Salvation produces works. You are saved the minute you get on your knees and call upon the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And yet people believe they don't need to do that. Many people have you heard say, I'm not a bad person. I'm doing nobody any harm. No, you're not. But you fall short of the glory of God. And Jesus said, you need to be saved. I wonder what people will say when Jesus comes comes back to earth and they're standing in front of them, and they say to Jesus, sure, it was okay, your grace covered me. Jesus will say, where did I say that? In fact, he'll say, did you not read what I told Nicodemus? In John 3 verse 2, Truly, truly, I say unto you, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That's plain English. You can't even take the Hebrew and the Greek and play with words and turn that around. And some have tried. You must be born again. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, when they seen God's move amongst these normal men, when they asked how they might be saved, Peter did not say, Don't worry, we're all covered by His grace. Peter said in Acts 2, verse 37, 38, he said, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and to the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said unto them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of sins, and ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Quite plain, quite easy to understand. This was Peter, as we've seen. We've been looking at this the past couple of weeks. He spent 40 days along with the other disciples with Jesus getting instructions as to what they were to do as they took the gospel, as they birthed the New Testament church, as they, they waited, they were filled with the Holy Ghost. They went out, Peter stood in the steps of Jerusalem and he preached a wonderful sermon and, and it, their hearts were pricked, it says, and, and they wanted to know, well, how can we be, how can we be saved? How can we come to know this Jesus? Peter quite plainly said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ. Turn from your sins. In other words, stop living for yourself. And this does away with the uh, you can live as you want message. Turn from your sins. Stop living for yourself and live for God. Become a new creature in Christ. Try your best to live a life pleasing to the Lord, not to yourself and to the world. Not to yourself and to the world. We need to be saved. And there's only one way to be saved. You know, sadly, a very prominent tele-evangelist was getting interviewed on TV. And he was asked, is there many ways into heaven, into the kingdom of God? And he was asked, was Jesus the only way? Sadly, he refused to answer. And he said, well, I wouldn't say that. Well, let me tell you what Jesus said in John 14, verse 6. Jesus said unto him, okay, listen, folks, this is Jesus talking. he's not talking about someone else. He's talking about himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. I, as your shepherd, I can't get you into the kingdom of God. I can instruct you. I can pray for you. I can pray with you. But you know something? I don't have the power to say, you're getting into the kingdom and you're not getting into the kingdom. There's only one righteous judge and that righteous judge is Jesus. And no man can affect your salvation in any way. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So what about your salvation today if you've never committed your life to the Lord? Are you really going to ignore what Jesus said or are you going to obey him? Are you going to listen to those who contradict and minimize what Jesus asked you to do? You know, all you have to do is what Jesus said believe in Him. And to believe in Him, then you are to obey Him and Him only. Jesus, then, as I said, He spent time with, with the disciples after his, uh, his resurrection. But way back in Matthew 28, Speaking to the disciples in Matthew 28, 19 and 20. He gives us something else to do. A command. And it says in Matthew 28, 19. Go you therefore and teach all nations. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Ghost. Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded. I have Commanded you. You see, this again, many people will will have different opinions as to whether or not you should be baptized. Well, I respect their opinions, but you know something? I read what Jesus said I have commanded you. And he said, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. We see here a specific command to the disciples. As they went about preaching the gospel, as they formed new fellowships, new churches, they were to baptize. And we've already seen Matthew 28 and 19, The original translation does not say Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. It says in mine here. And so the disciples didn't uh, diso- uh, disobey Jesus. He commanded the disciples to baptize believers. For me, that would mean it is important. It's not optional. I believe it's obligatory. No one can suggest anywhere, and again, they can play with the Hebrew and the Greek if they want, but they cannot suggest that Jesus told them to take it lightly. They cannot suggest that Jesus said an infant can be baptized. You know, in the Word of God, and that is the final say in all things, but in the Word of God, when a child was born, a sacrifice was brought to the temple to thank the Lord, particularly the firstborn, And the child was brought before the altar, and the high priest was God's servant, God's representative, acting on behalf of God in this ceremony. And the parents gave the child to the high priest, and he took the child, and he prayed over it, and handing the child to the priest was the family dedicating themselves to bring that child up in the ways of God. And the priest holding the baby would have prayed for the baby, would have prayed God's blessing on the child. Then he would have handed the child back to the parents with the command to bring this child up in the ways of God. And that wonderful portion where Murray and, uh, and uh, Joseph brought Jesus to the temple, God's servant said, Now I let mine... Thy servant depart in peace, for mine eyes have seen thy glory. He was holding Jesus, and he was holding him up to the Lord, praising God for what God had allowed him to see. That wasn't a, a guaranteed entrance into the church. It was a dedication, as we do today, of children to be brought up in the things of God. For someone to be baptized, as we said the other week, it has to be a decision by an individual to follow the command of the Lord Jesus Christ. Nowhere did it say you can choose it to do it if you wish. There's many more things we can look at this morning as Jesus asked us to do. Witness, pray for people. We know these things, but we want to concentrate on two important ones. And that's salvation and baptism in Jesus' name. And if we obey the Lord Jesus Christ, as we've seen in our reading, the good wine will be saved until the last. You know, when you're saved, you're not immune from sickness. You're not immune from trials and tribulations. And until the Lord comes back, you're not immune from death. If Jesus tarries, we will all die. We will have to go through rivers. As Christians, we'll have to climb mountains. I remember a Buddhist in city center one day. She made the mistake of asking me, do I believe in what she was teaching? So I told her about the Lord Jesus Christ. And what she was telling me was, if I believe this Buddha, and she showed me this picture of Buddha sitting with his legs crossed, and it was like a rainbow over him, and all these missiles and arrows and rocks were bouncing off this rainbow and protecting him. And according to her, you know, they bought into this lie that they would never be in trouble, they would never feel pain, they would never be persecuted. But I like Jesus because he's honest. He warned us that men will turn against us for his name's sake. He warned us there would be trials and tribulations. He warned us there would be fires. He warned us there would be mountains to climb. He warned us there would be rivers to cross. But you know something? He said he would be with us. He'll be with those who obey him. Those who obey him. Because you are going to have to go through rivers as a Christian. I'm not going to give you, you know, a wine and roses sermon this morning. Or an ear-tickling sermon. The troubles you have this evening will be the same ones you have in the morning. But you know the the difference will be that Jesus is in the storm with you. Jesus is in the waters with you. And Jesus is moving the mountain or climbing the mountain with you. You may face rejection. You may face, at times, isolation. You know, I came from being one of the lads to someone who ended up sitting in his own. When I first became a Christian, they weren't being rude or anything. But they couldn't have the conversations they normally had. And maybe they left me for respect I always found that you know, when we were sitting somewhere uh, waiting on something to happen, you were sitting bored out of your mind, and there was a lot of our nonsense being talked. So, what I used to do is I used to get my Bible out, and they all got out of the vehicle, <laughs> and I had peace. <laughs> Sorry, Lord. But... You can face isolation, but you know something? The good wine will come in the end, the blessings will come. The blessings of the Lord for redemption from sin and eternal life will bring you eternal joy and praise that you would give to our Savior. Because Jesus is the King of all kings. Jesus is the Lord of all lords. He is the Christ. You know, many people refer to him as Jesus Christ. The proper way to refer to him is Jesus the Christ. He is the anointed one. He was Jesus, the Nazarene, or it had been referred to Jesus, the son of Joseph. The Christ was a title. It means the anointed one. He is the good shepherd. He is the door. He is the life. He is the light. He is the way. And he will bless those that honor him by obeying him. By obeying him. By just taking that little step of faith, and doing what Jesus asked you to do. And you know, the Lord knows it could be difficult for some people. Think of China. There's people risking their lives to be baptized in Jesus' name. I heard of, I don't know if it's the same now, but in Russia, you should read, it's a wonderful book called Forgive Me, Natasha. I'm sure a lot of you have read it. And they spoke of how they used to go to a lake break the ice to get into the water, to get baptized in Jesus' Jesus name, risking their lives to obey the Lord Jesus Christ. What's stopping you this morning in surrendering your life to Jesus? He's asking you to repent, to turn to him for forgiveness of sins. He's asking you to be baptized in his name. You know, as the musicians come back, just let the Lord talk to your heart this morning. And just step out in faith and follow his command. And I can assure you, the Lord will bless you. And we, are, we have a couple of candidates this morning. And we thank the Lord for that. Maybe you came this morning not even thinking about baptism. Not even thinking about your salvation. And the Lord has spoke to you. And, you know, we have everything that you need downstairs. We have robes. They're really good robes. Uh, You'll be totally private. You're downstairs in a room. There will only be you and Pastor Peter, one of our elders, Brother Roy Simpson.